bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your living presence here with us. As we spend these few moments together around your word, do pray that you would take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And to take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your namesake. Amen. Well, I trust you had a great Christmas. We've had a great Christmas, and we're still enjoying Christmas. When you speak about anticipation, we've all got the anticipation that the Steelers are going to win tonight. (laughs) A lot of anticipation. You're not sure, but that's what you're anticipating. And as we've come through this season of anticipation, it's not too late for the Lord in this Christmas season to break in on your life, your day-to-day, typical, maybe, traditional Christmas time together so that you will look back even on this morning and know that this Christmas God revealed himself to you in such a way that you now know or will know that your life has been redirected. You see, the situation that we just heard read for us is of a traditional religious experience for any Jewish family back in the time of Jesus' day. They brought the baby to the temple to offer the very modest sacrifice of a couple of pigeons. First male child born from the womb, that was Jesus. And according to their law and their tradition... Joseph and Mary were bringing Jesus and offering this sacrifice on behalf of their firstborn child. Everything was as it would normally be for any family, except that there was an old man by the name of Simeon, whom the Lord had visited and communicated to that before he died, before Simeon died, he would see the Lord's Messiah. On page 2 in your service sheet, or Luke chapter 2, which is what we've been looking at, when it speaks about Christ, that he would see the Lord's Christ, the word Christ is literally Messiah. And it's, it's lost when we use the word Christ because we see wrapped up in the name Christ, the whole of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's literally Jesus Messiah, the Lord Messiah, the Lord Jesus Messiah, or just Messiah. The word Christ is Messiah. That is the one who had long been promised. And here is this older chap, Zacchaeus, who is told by the Lord, it's communicated to him in a divine revelation, something that was just to him, that before he died, he would see the Messiah. 
And wouldn't you know it, at the same time Joseph and Mary turn up at the temple, the Spirit of the Lord comes on Simeon, this old gentleman, who arrives coincidentally, God-incidentally, at the temple and takes the baby from the arms of Joseph and Mary and holds up that baby and then begins speaking to God. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. That's your word to me, Simeon. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have made known amongst all people. Joseph and Mary were absolutely stunned. They've had a lot of exceptional experiences along the way to getting Jesus and including naming him Jesus because that was the father's choice. They didn't name him. The father in heaven said, you will name this child Jesus. Mary got that communication. Joseph got that communication. So Jesus was named and then presented in the temple. And Simeon breaks in on what would have been a normal, traditional, Jewish family experience. And all heaven opens up. That can happen here this morning. It's fantastic to see you all out after such a busy Christmas here. And those of us in leadership do thank all the people in the background, the folks who've done all the imaging, the beauty of this church right now as we worship, the preparation of the music, the service sheets, everything that we've enjoyed together. And it's part of all the preparation. We've been preparing for it for months. And all the various teams of people got together and made it look the way it did, ready for Christmas. But right here this morning, Jesus can break in on your life The Spirit of God can take, and maybe already already has begun to do so, these moments and speak to you. A personal communication from God to you. So that this is not just another, even though a closing Christmas time service for us, but a moment between you and God. I want you to review with me and follow along, if you will, what an extraordinary thing happened here. When Zacchaeus, excuse me, when Simeon got this message and took Jesus in his arms, we're looking at chapter 2, verse 28. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon is saying, I can go home now, Lord. You can take me. You promised me that I would see your Messiah before I die. Here he's looking at that salvation, the Messiah. And he's in effect saying, I'm ready to go home. I've been looking forward to this moment. I'm ready to go home. 
So significant was that moment for Simeon. I'm ready to go. And when he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation, he's looking at a child. He's looking at a living person. Salvation is not in a religious exercise, in doing something religious like even going to church. It's in having that personal relationship with Jesus. Salvation is in Christ. He is that salvation. When you look at Jesus, you see the Savior, that's what the name Jesus means, and you see our salvation. It's all wrapped up in who Christ was and is and forever will be. The Savior, the Messiah promised from so long ago. He's looking at a person. That same Jesus is here. He's here for you. May that moment occur in your experience with him, even this morning, that beyond these moments together, you know that God has revealed himself to you personally, person to person. And then he goes on to describe not just that he is the salvation but that he is being prepared as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, it's hard almost to begin to even talk about this. We're all Gentiles here, almost without exception. You know what a Gentile is, don't you? It's anyone who is not a Jew. If you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. the The most of the people around the world today who know and love Jesus as Messiah, are Gentiles. In fact, I would say this to you. Had the first followers of Jesus been disobedient and not taken the gospel to the Gentiles and left it just among themselves within Judaism, today, anything that would be messianic, Christ-centered, would be amongst a minority Jewish sect within larger Judaism. All the first believers were Jews. The first disciples. Jesus was Jewish. His mom and dad were Jewish. They come into a Jewish ceremony. And what gets revealed? That Jesus is for the Gentiles. He's the one to bring revelation, enlightenment to the Gentiles. Jewish people even today, and I don't say this in any derogatory sense, are very much aware of being Jewish. As most of you know, I've been the chaplain down at a club in Florida for the last four winter seasons. And some goodly percentage of the folks there became very good friends of ours. I was actually asked to go and preach at their Sabbath service a couple of times. We're Jewish. And I'll tell you this, even though they were a smallish minority, maybe 5% of the total community, whenever you met with them, whether you're playing golf, having a meal, they wanted you to know that they were Jewish. Most of the Jewish people you know, even if they're not religious Jews, they will let you know that they are Jewish. Partly I do, it's, I do believe it's a way of saying, don't try and convert me. In other words, 
we're Jewish, we're not into your thing. And I sometimes suspect they're in effect saying, leave me alone, underneath the seams of all that. But they are first Jews in any community, socially, business-wise, relationally, family. Now, we had cards from our Jewish friends there, but they let you know that they are Jewish. They are still very much, to this day, living in what is primarily a Gentile world, very Jewish about their being Jewish. In Jesus' day, in Israel, they weren't nearly all Jews except for the interloping Gentiles who were the disgusting Romans, who were the power force, who policed the land, who under their militaristic boots suppressed the people. There were any number of reasons why the Jewish people would have been antagonized with the whole Gentile notion. And here Simeon is saying, and I I can't even begin to convey this to you, how radical it is that the Messiah, whom he has just seen, who he has described as God's salvation, is the light, the revelation of enlightenment to the Gentiles. That's as radical as radical could be in its own context. No less so today in some respects, except we take it for granted that most of us who are believers believe in Jesus as Messiah, and we just happen to be Gentiles. Listen carefully. It goes on to say this, and to be the glory of his people Israel. Jesus is still God's glory to the Jewish people. That doesn't mean they acknowledge it. But from God's vantage point, the real glory of the people of Israel today is Jesus the Messiah. And more and more Jews are becoming believers in Jesus as Messiah and small Christian house churches within Israel sprouting up all over the place. It's not that they've become Gentiles. They've become Messianic Jews. And that was revealed in Jesus, that that is the glory of God's people, that they acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. That's God's idea. That's God's pronouncement. That's God's revelation. And here is Simeon holding the baby Jesus and describing everything I've just tried to convey to you, but in simple terms that would have been electrifying and graphic beyond measure to Mary and Joseph. In fact, it goes on to say how astounded they were. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But then it goes on to say this, Simeon still speaking about Jesus. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. That is controversial. That is rejected, denied, spoken against. And that this child would be set for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. Jesus the Messiah becomes 
the demarcation between those who are believers and those who are not believers. It actually goes on to say this, and this is all at this same revelation, that not only so, but the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, spoken to Mary. Her soul was pierced through when Jesus was executed on the cross. So this magnificent moment of declaration There is even that same pathos and pain associated with the saviourhood of Jesus. He becomes a divisive element to the rise and fall, a name that will be spoken against, and a sword will pierce your own soul. It's no less true amongst all people today that Jesus becomes the line of demarcation between belief and unbelief. It gets to be about Jesus. Not about whether there is a God or not. Not about the righteousness of one law or another. It gets to be about Jesus, the Savior, the person who is the salvation. It's about him. My wife, Kathleen, was raised so differently than I. I was raised irreligiously. We never went to church. We did learn the carols. They were part of the culture. We did celebrate Christmas, and it was about the birth of a baby, though I hadn't a clue that, in fact, it was God coming in the flesh. Even though we sang words that made it clear, you didn't see it. You missed it. It was just what was going on around you. It was Christmas time. My wife was raised to go to church. She was confirmed as a Lutheran. She loved Sunday school. She loved the Martin Luther Sunday toward the end of October when they showed the movie of the life of Martin Luther, some old-fashioned black-and-white movie. She was proud of that man. And yet there were some high school kids at her high school who talked about Jesus, listen to this, who talked about Jesus in such a way that she was offended. Now here she's raised to go to church. She could say the same creed we've just said, sung the same carols and hymns, had been confirmed, would have called herself a Christian. But when the kids at school who had this particular intimate relationship with Jesus spoke about it, she was offended. I mean, she was annoyed. Why do you think that was? She discovered later, because what it all amounted to was Jesus. Not about church, not about going to church, not about a religious exercise like getting confirmed, not about knowing what the prayers or the creeds were, not about the Sunday school lessons about Martin Luther or anyone else, It was about Jesus, and when they were speaking about Jesus, she didn't have that relationship with Jesus, and the spirit of this world in her, even though she was a church-going woman, was resistant to Jesus. And here's the remarkable thing. When she asked Jesus to come into her life some months later, because she thought, I'll give that a try, I'll do that. I'll talk to Jesus. I'll ask him to come into my life. 
And then she was waiting for the bells and whistles to go, lightning to strike, goosebumps to appear. Nothing happened until back at the same high school, those same kids chatting together in the lunchroom talked about Jesus. And as they're talking about Jesus, and she overheard it, she said, my heart leapt within me. And she knew, she knew Jesus. I can tell you this, my wife was more Christian the day before she asked Jesus into her life than I was five years after I'd done it. (laughs) I had a lot of ground to make up. I had a lot of crap and filth to get out of my life. But I will tell you this, the day I asked Jesus into my life, I really knew him. I had stuff to put straight, my thinking to be shifted and realigned and remolded, my attitudes about one person or another, but it amounted to Jesus, not religion, not behavioral stuff. It gets down to Jesus. And that's exactly what Simeon was saying here. Don't miss Jesus. I'll tell you this, there was a Christmas when the most remarkable thing happened. Let me read this report to you. It's the year 1903, it's back a few years, December the 17th, so early in December, and two chaps from Ohio by the name of Wilbur and Orville Wright had just flown their hand-built airplane for 59 seconds. And that was a life-changing event. All the space flight, jet flight, all the airports, all the business of flying in a plane or anything that's flown through the atmosphere was loaded up in those first 59 seconds of flight with the Wright brothers. They were so excited, they sent a a telegram back to Dayton, Ohio, which was their hometown, where they ran a bike shop. And they sent the telegram back to their sister, saying this, first sustained flight today in 59 seconds. Hope to be home for Christmas. Their sister was so excited, she ran that news down to the newspaper. And they were absolutely shocked the next day to read the headline. Popular local bicycle merchants to be home for the holiday. (laughs) Can you believe it? I think that must be one of the legends of the newspaper industry. That that was the headline. They told the truth, but they missed the event. Don't you miss Jesus? It would be as ridiculous as what happened in Dayton in 1903. He's here. He is for you. And just as Simeon had that revelation and made it known, God, in a remarkable way, by his Spirit, can take the truth of Jesus' presence right here and make that so real to you that whatever else has been going on in your life for, for this Christmas, 
you know, you know that Jesus is for real. Let's talk to him, shall we? See him coming to where you are sitting. This is between you and him now. We're going to be singing the carol in just a few moments in the bleak midwinter. You may be experienced for yourself that kind of bleak midwinter, soulful, earth standing as hard as iron, water like a stone in your life. But this very day, the living Lord Jesus comes to you knows you. He can call you by name. Speak to him from the bottom of your heart. Say to him, just between you and him, but you say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into this winter of my life. By the power of your Spirit, come and fill me with yourself, Lord Jesus. Instead of being antagonized by you and the thought of you in my life, right now, I want to turn that all around. I'm sorry for my standoffishness of being antagonized by the very thought of you, by holding you at a distance because I wanted to run my life for myself. Make this Christmas the real Christmas of my life. I welcome you into the home of my existence, my life. Forgive me my sin, Lord Jesus. I'm weary of it all. I want to begin again with you. Fill me with yourself. Drive out the darkness and the loneliness, the emptiness, the futility. Fill, fill me with your joy. May the good news be of great joy to me right now as you come in and fill me with yourself. Take possession of me, Lord Jesus. Thank you.